Welcome to Emerging Black Professionals, the podcast. I am Tajma Van Buren, your host and guide for leveling up your work life. Emerging Black Professionals is here to support Black young professionals in maximizing the benefits of their job. Whether that's support in building social capital, learning to make your salary stretch from month to month, or the nuts and bolts of a LinkedIn page, we got you. We want to make sure that you're showing up not only best for your team, but especially for yourself, your future self, your current self, and the legacy that you're wanting to leave behind. We got you. Now today, we have the opportunity to talk to a coach that really specializes in working with young professionals. He, often we don't get the opportunity to work with and talk to some really seasoned professionals who have been there and done that and are experiencing some new stuff themselves, um, but they know kind of what we're experiencing. Um, but Brian has a way of really connecting and saying, okay, this is really what you're saying that you want to do, or even this isn't what you're saying that you want to do, but you're afraid to say it out loud. Um, I'm going to let him speak for himself. But before we get into all of that, here's our professional quick tip for the day. Because even if you don't truly connect with what Brian is saying, I want you to leave listening to this experience with something very tangible that you can do. Here's the tip. Take freaking notes. On different teams that I have been a part of, I have been known to just spend most of the meeting really engaging, but making note of everything because you're not going to be able to say that you told me to do something and I didn't do it. Or you're not going to be able to say that I was supposed to, whatever the thing is, I have notes of it. Journals upon journals upon journals. And this is what I'm telling you to do. When you're in meetings or if you're in the middle of conversations, make note of it. Have, I don't know if you need like the little notes pad on your computer or a physical journal. For me, physical journals do the best, but I'm, I'm becoming a little bit more of like a Gen Zer or millennial or whoever I fit into right now, um, where the computer and my little notes tab on my phone is really, really rocking with me lately. Um, but make note of everything. Make note of, hey, this person said that they were going to do this and that was going to allow me to do this. This person said that they're even this is a part of also relationship building. This person said, oh, their baby is due in April. Let me jot that down because that is going to become important. That's going to cue me if I'm working on a project to remember, oh, this person said that their baby is due in April. Maybe that's why I'm not getting a response like I typically would. Just a couple of things to remember when you're working through that. All right, let's get to Brian. Okay, thank you so much for joining us, Brian. Well, thank you so much for inviting me. It's a real pleasure. <laughs> so let's start off with you telling us who you are. I like to give people the opportunity to share from their own. Language. Okay, um, I, I wear many hats, I suppose. Possibly you've come to know me through the social media um, as a coach, as a trainer, adjunct professor, author, and I do all of those things. Um, I would say, though, rather than actually doing them, I am those things. Um, for many years now, I've been working as a trainer, firstly freelance and then moving into the corporate world, uh, working then later on as an adjunct professor at the Catholic University of Milan. So those are roles that I do. But I would say probably I've taken myself into each of those positions anyway. The author, that is something that came about particularly because of the first course I was asked to do at university. I wanted to write the course book. I could have chosen lots of other things, but I, I particularly wanted to write something that I felt is me. Mm. Having written the first book, I then continued writing. So I wrote seven for the university uh, using an internal publishing house. And that was fantastic. And yeah, those books are still being used. I'm still using them on my courses. Um, you know, that was lovely. Uh, they were very structured, though. From that, I also then moved into what I like to call inspirational poetry. Inspirational is a big word, and whether it inspires anybody's up to the person concerned, I don't know. Um, <laughs> I enjoy writing poetry, so uh, 
in a very loose form, I must add. Um, more recently, I've got into haiku, which is a Japanese form using 17 syllables. Um, if I can actually just share, I've actually written one in your honour. So let me oh just... Oh, my gosh. <laughs> um, so remember, 17 syllables, three lines. Mm -hmm. Beautiful person, daughter of a superstar, helping EBPs. That's so great. That's my Thank poem you. to you. <laughs> and for anybody listening, I met Brian through my mom. My mom is also a coach and Brian is a coach among every many things that he just listed. So this is so cool. Um, let's let me start us off with some of the opening questions that I have for us. What was your absolute very first job? Oh, that was, uh, I was about 13. It was a Saturday morning job, uh, starting at seven o'clock in the morning. I used to go and clean a family friend's clock repair workshop. So this gentleman concerned had uh, a beautiful workshop um, and shop where he used to take in antique clocks. So the type of things you would see in stately homes and such like. Um, and he would repair them for clients and occasionally sell them, you know, restore them and sell them. The workshop, though, was set on four floors and as in any sort of metalwork environment, was very dirty and uh, lots of grease and iron filings. And he had two or three sons, I can't remember now, that over the years had cleaned for him. But when the oldest son got too old to clean for him, he asked if I, he asked my parents if I would help out. So on a Saturday morning, I would go in and you know, work from seven till I think it was 12 o'clock, um, cleaning this four story building, um, which was, you know, it was a, it gave me a bit of pocket money, um, gave me responsibility. Um, at the beginning, he used to collect me, take me when I got a bit older, you know, I used to go in by train, um, so, yeah, it was a nice experience into the world of work, let's say. Nice. And at 13. Yeah. So many people, um, or at least in my sphere, so many people aren't allowed to work at that age. We find a bunch a of different question. things. I, I don't know whether it was legal, but because he was a family <laughs> friend, he was an elder of the church. Uh, my father was an elder of the church, too. So there was a strong church connection. Um, let, let's go on from that point. <laughs> Okay, well, the next question is, name a book that has changed your life. And it's okay if you name your own book. <laughs> no, uh, I wouldn't do that. Um, I, I thought a long and hard about that because I love books. Uh, I don't know if you oh. can see behind me, I've got quite a few books. Um, I look at books, though, as, as tools of the trade. Um, I love reading, but I also e enjoy reading them for the work aspect. One particular book was a book that was lent to me by... Um, a good friend who I would consider also a mentor, I won't name him, but he's a gentleman in Milan who's about, I suppose he must be about mid-70s now. Um, I met him, first of all, by teaching him English, um, although he had a, a very good basic level, but, I, you know, we, we worked together. But anyway, um, he recommended a book called, in English, it's called Zen in the Art of Archery by a German professor called Eugene Hedigel, I think the, the surname is, H-E-R-R-I-G-E-L, um, Zen in the Art of Archery. And it's a book that basically explains one gentleman's approach to learning archery, spending many, many hours, days, months, just learning to pull the bow back, just learning how to hold the, arch, uh, the actual bow and arrow in the correct manner. But it opened to me the world of Zen to Buddhism, to the idea of doing things for the sake of doing them rather than just rushing through things. So doing things properly to the best of our ability, mm. not so much the idea of being perfect because that's maybe a dream that we can never obtain, but doing the things to the best of our ability. And that book really sort of set me on a line of study, a line of thinking, which has stayed with me right through until now. So that was very much a book that I very, 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 very much would say changed the life in a sense. Which seems like it really influenced your slow lane coaching, which is what we'll get into in just a little bit. Um, yes, without realizing it, because that is something that, as you say, maybe we speak in a moment, that's something that's come about very recently, although mm -hmm. the coaching itself has developed over the years. Okay, so coffee or tea in the morning? 
<laughs> okay, let me ask you, what's your favorite, first of all? <laughs> coffee, but everybody has been saying tea. And mostly coffee is for me just because I like the routine of making it. Okay, I will say decaffeinated espresso coffee. Very specific. I appreciate yeah. it. You're the first um, person to say coffee. <laughs> okay, yeah. No, we uh, Living out here in Italy, you know, in the past, I used to drink a lot of espresso coffee, um, which was fine. You know, I, I never had problems with that because that was almost sort of the thing that kept me going during the day. But uh, once I started working more from home, needing to slow down a little bit, I didn't need that buzz. So um, it wasn't a good thing to be drinking so many coffees. So moved on to decaffeinated coffee. But I still like the, similar to yourself, I like the process with the Italian mocha of creating that coffee. So the, the taste is very similar. You couldn't, put, if I gave you, you probably wouldn't know it's decaffeinated. You yeah. just want the, the wired sensation afterwards. So yeah, decaffeinated coffee in the morning. That is so true. I noticed that as soon as we quarantined earlier last year, I stopped drinking coffee nearly as much as I did before. And I think I was just trying to keep up with everybody else. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> so who do you consider to be a mentor of yours? Okay, that's another good question. You've got some great questions here. <laughs> um, the first name that jumped out to me was Tom Peters, who's a, an American business consultant. Um, I think he was just by training an engineer, possibly in the US Navy. He was a book who wrote, uh, I think it was In Search of Excellence. Uh, then he went on to The Pursuit of Wow, uh, The Innovation Circle, The Circle of Innovation, um, and then a whole series of other books. Um, but he really created the idea of the business consultant um, not being afraid to say the truth rather than just what the clients want to hear. So as I moved into marketing, as I moved more into the idea of coaching, I took with me from Tom Peters the idea of saying the truth rather than just giving what the clients want. Because if the clients only want to be sugar-coated, that's fine, but I'm not going to do that. Um, and Tom Peters has built up a whole career, and obviously I'm nowhere at Tom Peters' level, but the idea of being truthful to the idea of what's important to you, giving your best. One of the phrases he uses, um, what do you do? Is it okay or is it ho-hum? Because mm. if it's only ho-hum, if you're only doing something for the sake of it, really, what's the point of doing it? Does it give you that wow? Does it make you excited? Does it make the person, the client excited? Right. Obviously, not everything can be at that level all the time. But if we're only going through the motions, then really we, we're not giving our best. So Tom Peters, certainly on a, a larger scale, um, I would say Martin Luther King for the obvious reasons, because of the nonviolence, the idea of standing up to what is right, but without being violent. You know, lots of people stood up, uh, lots of people in inverted commas, fight for what they feel is right. But the fact that Martin Luther King could actually sit down for what is right, that is so inspiring. Um, probably my best ever film is um, Mississippi Burning mm. with Gene Hackman. Um, that's a very strong tale, again, of civil rights. And I think it's not a question of civil rights, it's a question of human rights. If one person suffers, we all suffer. So that's why you know, I'm starting to get quite passionate now, excuse me. <laughs> We're only five minutes into it. But uh, that, that certainly, King, from that, you've then got obviously the whole sort of music scene around. It's a Marvin Gaye, Gil Scott Heron. Let's not forget Gil Scott Heron. Um, if anybody listening doesn't know Gil, Gil Scott Heron, shame on you. Go away <laughs> and check out on YouTube. Um, all of the work of Gil Scott Heron basically is mirroring today or he in a many sense he foretold maybe the story's never changed but if you just listen to it think about the song uh, what is it white is on the moon mm. um think about um winter in america uh think about the television the revolution will not be televised uh think about new york city the ghetto all of these things unfortunately are still so relevant for today very true here in Italy, in America, in the UK, where I'm from, wherever, uh, it crosses border just like the virus, unfortunately. Yeah. That so is... I'll tell you those two. Another quick mentor, 
Pema Chodron, the American uh, Buddhist nun. She is an incredible writer. I've heard of her. She wrote mm. the um, Things Fall Apart, maybe? Or That's right. Yep, yep. And Start Where You Are and then other books as well. And her writing is so direct to the point. Um, she suffered. She's not, she's not afraid to sort of talk about her sufferings. But it, it's very apt. It's very here and now. So, yeah, another point of reference. Very true. That book was amazing. Um, so while we're on this train, tell me a hard lesson that you've had to learn, even if it's just within the last year. <laughs> okay, um, it's slightly older than that. Diversification of income resources or sources. So um, years ago, I was working freelance training had a, a very large client and unfortunately for many reasons their market just came to a halt overnight almost and as a consequence they cut back on the training budget so I was out of a job um, and I realized at the time as much as it's important to hold tightly to a client mm -hmm. you have to release immediately because trying to stay with them to sort of negotiate down maybe reduce the contract whatever doesn't work especially when things are going bad for them so it taught me i need to be conscious of having a diversification of income uh, and that now for example involves working at the university working as a freelance coach um what else doing yeah the writing not that that's bringing in a lot of money but it, it's part of the process so right. diversification of income is important even if you can't always be doing lots of different things be conscious that at any moment things can change very quickly. Right. So we have to be in our work, in the moment, but also conscious of what's going on around. Very true. I'm sure 2020 taught every single one of us that. Um, yeah. So, <laughs> all right. I am super, super determined to bring back hobbies, specifically for my, my generation as a whole, because everybody feels like things have to be monetized or they have to be for public consumption, but you can definitely just do things for yourself because you like them. So Brian, what is a hobby of yours? Just hearing you now, it sounds exactly like your mother then. Uh, sorry, just <laughs> open and close brackets there. Um, I agree with what you just said as your preamble about the need for doing hobbies just for sacred, not monetizing it. That's lovely. Um, you also have to put into that sort of equation the question of time. Yes. Um, and so that that's where there's a, a mighty balance. Is you can have great intentions to want to do things, but always and not always do you find the time. The things that I enjoy doing, which I've actually been very fortunate, and I've worked to do it, structured into my day. Meditation. Um, I love meditation. I, one of my dreams is to go on to a meditation retreat for a whole week and, and literally just meditate, which is, is a job in itself, but I would love to do that. So meditation is a daily activity that I absolutely block time for, and I feel completely out of balance if I don't do that. Um, since I think it was the beginning of 2019, I've been doing Tai Chi. Um, just to sort of move a little bit and that's not a pun intended but just to get some sort of movement in the day so I've got the structure copied from Robin Sharma the 5am club another good book um, get up early in the morning do 10-15 minutes of gentle stretching 10 minutes of tai chi 20 minutes of meditation then 20 minutes of reading and that sets me up for the day so the meditation and the Tai Chi, two definite hobbies. I have to say reading, obviously. Um, I think you can't write very well uh, if you don't read a lot. Uh, maybe you still don't write very well anyway, but reading is, is a pleasure, is part of work. Um, I would be lost without the ability to read. And I often actually say to myself, thank you to my parents for giving that possibility to learn to read. Because, you know, when you hear people say, oh, I've only read a book once, in one book in five years or whatever, I see that as really sad. Yeah. You know, it, it's there's so many people want an education, want to learn to to read, to develop themselves. And then you've got so many people walking around who can read but choose not to. That's the same as not being able to. 
So there, there will always be opportunities if we can invest in ourselves, if we can read. And it could be anything. Um, you know, let's not be snobs about the genre. Everything is something. Uh, every book takes us into a new world in a certain sense. Yes. And then, okay, a little bit of jogging when the weather's nice. I, I, I'm not a, a cold weather jogger. Uh, it has to be very pleasant. I don't mind going out early in the morning. I love to run and watch the sunrise or run towards the sun. Beautiful. But it has to be warm out there. I, I'm not going out there when it's cold. I'm sorry. Um, so I'd say those are probably the main hobbies. Um, it's that yeah i follow a bit of sport not so much on tv because i fall asleep if i watch television so um right that was about it more or less you're right though we all need hobbies we all should do more etc but uh you need to find the time first yes completely understand um so you have already given us a quick little career timeline for us of all or list of all of the things that you do something that i want to hone in on for a second is that you are a professor and I think everybody needs to grasp the magnitude of this particular guest that we have because you work with young professionals correct and we're I'm I'm ready I know the listeners are going to be super ready to hear from you because we definitely need what you have to offer so what exactly are you teaching your students okay um it started off i was invited to teach i was invited through the uh, a very good friend uh who's became the mentor within the university structure she invited me into a a multi or interfaculty course um which was a postgraduate course at the beginning this was after i'd completed my marketing marketing qualifications uh, so, you know, I came in almost in, as a late entry into the world of academia. And I've always said to myself and to everybody listening that I've never wanted to take that as a tenure. I don't want a permanent position within the university. I want the freedom to be able to do lots of other things. The yeah. first course took four pieces of drama, um, actually four characters formed four pieces of drama, two Italian, two international. And we looked at these, or I looked at these characters from the position of coaching to what they could offer the world of work. So you've got Portia from The Merchant of Venice. Well, everybody talks about The Merchant of Venice, Shylock. Um, I chose Portia as the one of Shakespeare's first women leaders, powerful characters, um, very modern character. She looks at empathy. She looks at teamwork. She looks at uh, giving out, uh, empowering people, giving responsibility. So that's one of the characters. And then we've got... Uh, Machiavelli, Machiavelli's character, Calimaco, um, which is a, an Italian 15th century story, a bit particular. Um, and so it goes on. So these four characters, we put them into the world of work, looked at them from the position of what they can offer us, and then obviously expanded beyond that. That ran for about nine years. Um, hmm. Then they jigged everything. Um, but in that time, I was already working with the, univers- the university's international faculty. They were sending international students to the course because it was, what, at the time, one of the few courses in English up in Milan at this university. So um, I already knew some of the people in the international office, and they eventually called me across to them. And then we started working on their international faculty um, curriculum. And I been running two courses for them leadership coaching which is an extension of my first course but much more detailed relating to the skills of leadership so looking at the soft soft skills looking at what we need to develop in ourselves in order to be a good leader regardless of the title we have in our job um even if you're what did you say the janitor the mailroom uh, apprentice whatever it is take responsibility for your area of work do it to the best of your ability don't wait until you get to the ceo position before you give your best so that's a message that i've really been pushing through that course the second course which i created um i'll tell you actually how i created it um i shouldn't think the guy concerned is listening we may be um a guy was on instagram and we connected during the course and one day um i said to him oh you know so and so interesting feed but uh, i'm not sure about your friend uh and he said well which one and it's i don't know if i can say it here but uh the friend's name was i had your mother five times last night 
And of course, <laughs> this guy in the class just went bright red and very embarrassed. But it fitted nicely with what we were talking about in terms of being responsible online. So from that came my second course, personal marketing, looking at managing our reputation online, managing our reputation offline, how we promote ourselves, right. firstly to ourselves and then to the world of work. And so that, that one idea built up the whole 44-hour course um, leading up to the students eventually doing the elevator pitch plus a presentation as if they were facing an interview board or a postgrad college uh, assessment board or whatever it is. So we really focused on getting the people to feel comfortable also singing their own praise. I believe it's Walt Whitman who says, uh, if it's done, it ain't bragging. Um, because most of us are almost shy, scared to actually talk about our successes. But right. on the other hand, people can't read our minds. So we've got to feel comfortable speaking about our successes, speaking about the things that we can add to the world of work or we hope to add or that we intend to invest in ourselves in order to be eventually working towards. So that second course is very much focused on that one. The third course I created during lockdown um, and I've since sort of modified because I'm working also with students who are on an international virtual intern program. So they're situated in a home country, but working with Italian companies, obviously online. Um, that's to do with mentoring success. So I put together a lot of ideas around mentoring. If I can just read a quote from one book, um, if I can find the right lots of piece of paper here um men here we go mentoring isn't about changing someone or getting someone to do something differently it's about waking someone up to who they really are nice. and that's by a lady called julie star and the book is the mentoring manual well julie star is also a, a big coach so she's written a fantastic book in the world of coaching i like that particular phrase the idea of waking people up to who they really are and that's something that probably I've been trying to do anyway under the different auspices of the various courses anyway getting people to actually be comfortable who they are mm -hmm. not just doing things because they've always done it making choices that very much are aligned to their own values because so often people choose courses because their parents said you should be doing it or a brother and sister yep. did it and then they get two years in and they decide that it's really not for them well, wake up it's not too late to change, make those choices. Because otherwise, you know, you can imagine you then take on a job, the first ever job, you get comfortable with the income. And at that point, it's very difficult to change again because you've already built a life, maybe on a relatively low level, but mm -hmm. you don't want to do it. You've lost that, that sensation of you can do anything, which maybe you started off at university with, or you started off when you first started working. But quickly, we become accustomed to the status quo, doing what everybody does, fitting in. Going back to that Tom Peters idea about wow or ho-hum. If we're not excited, if we're not waiting to get into our job on a Monday morning, right. maybe we should be looking around for something else. I'm not saying we've got to jump into nothing, but there's no reason not to begin the process now. Polishing the curriculum going on courses, going to, well, maybe you can't go to a library, but there's lots of resources online in these days. There's That's no excuses now not to feed our body, not to feed ourselves, our mind. Very true, very true. And it's, it seems like it's become a thing or like an accepted culture to hate your job. And that's completely unacceptable to me because you're spending most of your life working in the first place. So you need to at least like the people or the thing that you're doing. Or find some element about it that you can at least appreciate. Yes. So, you know, learn what doesn't work. When I was working in a language school, it was a great experience of what doesn't work. So when I started working for myself, I was able to take those ideas and do the complete opposite. There's always opportunities to learn and grow. You know, let's use the mistakes of other people rather than repeating them ourselves. Step on those shoulders in order to get up further. So specifically with the leadership um, course, do you go through the types of leadership or are you just 
talking. We, we do, yeah, we we do. We use we use video. Say say we do. Unfortunately, last February, um, the course was set up to go live in Milan, and that weekend before we started, we had obviously the first lockdown here in Italy, so mm -hmm. everything shifted online. Um, and that semester from February through till June was online was an experience for all of us to get get accustomed with the technology we had mexicans americans chinese europeans all working online coming on at different times so it was real learning sort of um, moment for all of us um but i tried to keep the course as interactive as possible then from september to december again because of lockdown we did the course again online less students because obviously a lot of people were no longer enrolled because they chose not to leave etc or they couldn't leave um, yeah we use videos uh, readings um, i supply lots of material for them as backup reading exercises a lot of coaching exercises if we're in the classroom together we will be doing all sorts of coaching exercises. Uh, I will be getting people to break up into small groups. We will be doing listening exercises. Um, I like to think there's a lot of energy, but a, a lot of energy, but also a lot of silence. I'm not afraid to have the people just meditating for a few moments, just reflecting on the day, um, breaking out into small groups and just taking the time to center themselves because so often the courses can be the bell rings off they go that course end of it to the next one and I like the students to actually be present you know there's the lovely expression about when you wash your dishes wash the dishes mm -hmm. so probably you've got a dishwasher but uh, <laughs> if you think okay when you're loading the dishwasher load the dishwasher don't have one hand on the iPhone, one hand on the dishes, one eye on the TV, one ear listening to the family, whatever. Oh my gosh, Brian, you're calling me out. Well, there you go. <laughs> but if, if we really sort of center on that one thing, if it's a job we have to do at work, probably we can get it done better and quicker. Um, if you think about the typical way of working we start something an email pops in a box we leave what we do and we go to the email something comes up on the phone hey that's pretty cool it's a nice little cat and we look at that and we like it <laughs> nothing again cats um and then we're sort of a few months we're into instagram and then we go back oh now it's busy i need a coffee and we still haven't completed our first task and then the time rolls around it's lunchtime and all the colleagues are going off to have something to eat getting covid of course and so at that point we break away completely from what we're doing and then it's two o'clock in the day and we've done nothing whereas if we actually do one task you know wash the dishes load the dishwasher it's out the way mm -hmm. then we can go forward we can always repeat it you think about a grade you have to an assignment you have to submit if you get it done early you've got time to go over it to check it use grammarly go back in make those modifications if you're right up to the wire good or bad that's it you've got to get it in right and then you kick yourself because you didn't give yourself enough time to get those extra marks you know somebody sent me in a elevator pitch and i specifically from the beginning of the course i asked for a 30 second elevator pitch well we've all got instagram we've all got our phones we're all used to doing videos we can easily time ourselves this person sent me in a video of 35 seconds they lost some, one mark which meant stop them getting the highest grade possible for four well, for five seconds so because they probably did it last minute thinking oh it doesn't matter it, it does matter you know we can't always just get away with things okay let's just do it for the sake of doing it so taking responsibility comes back to leadership being responsible to ourselves rather than just blaming other people when things don't go as we want them to go, but we've done nothing about them. Right. So how you've brought up the elevator pitch a couple of times, how are you structuring that for people? How would you tell someone to build that? Because I've only heard it, heard of it in relation to businesses, not in relation. Yeah. Well, you know, elevator pitch, obviously it's, it's a case of selling going back a bit selling ourselves to ourselves is the first point so we've got to know who we are what we've done what we want to achieve so put ourselves into the context 
if you're looking, for example, for an internship, um, what is it about you that would be attractive to a potential employer? So you need to be comfortable being able to talk about your successes. What makes you stand out? Just finishing one particular course, so a thousand of other people's. Maybe you were the class representative. Maybe you were the person who organized the um, incept day for the first year students or whatever it is. You know, something that makes you more relevant than anybody else to that particular job. So know yourself first and then be comfortable speaking it relevant to the person you're talking to. Mm. So if you're going for an internship, you don't want to maybe talking about your sporting achievements. You need maybe to be talking about your academic achievements, your soft skills, maybe your personal competencies, interpersonal abilities that would be of benefit to potential company. And then, of course, you need to really sort of hone down to make it relevant in a short space of time, let's say 30 seconds. So that's something that students, and there's a lot of other exercises we go through, a few videos we watch, et cetera. But before that, they've gone into the idea of what are their values? What's important to them? What do they want out of life? A lot of people say, I want money. That's the <laughs> typical, everybody wants money. And my yeah. usual response is, go and rob a bank. Because for five minutes, you will be the richest person around. And then you will have 30 years in jail to think about that. <laughs> so be, wanting money is, is not what you really want. What is it to have the money? Is it financial security? Mm -hmm. Is it to be able to give back to your family? Is it to be able to know that you've always got a dinner when you go home? You know, not knocking any of those things. But it, it changes. Because if you only want easy money, you can get it, but the price is probably way too high for you or for society, obviously. Uh, so I'm not in any means suggesting going rob a bank, but I'm saying <laughs> people need to be, absolutely not, people need to be clear about what it is they want. That just leads in maybe to the idea of slow lane coaching. Uh, for years, I've been doing coaching since 2007 when I started doing the training for coaching. Mm -hmm. Everybody is speaking about you've got to have a funnel. You've got to have this. You've got to do this. You've got to do this. Offer this. Create a webinar. Do it. Oh, my oh gosh. My God. Exactly. That's, that's, <laughs> yeah, I, I, I can understand the logic. You know, as a, as a chartered marketer of the Institute in, in England, I can understand the value of it but it doesn't appeal to me. And I've always believed that the people I've been working with often come out that they want a bit more space, a bit more time. They want to be able to, to just understand where they are, what's important to them. Well, you can't do that if you're in the fast lane, if you're trying to overtake everybody, if you're running with it, with the foot to the floor, um, whatever the expression is, um, you need at a certain point to step back. Well, you don't need, but a lot of people seem to appreciate the idea of just stepping back, reflecting, and then maybe going gung-ho again. Right. You know, I'm, I'm a very competitive person. I do wake up early. I've, I've got my things to be doing. Today, I've been working on editing a book. When we finished, I'll be doing the promotional slides for it. Next Tuesday, I'll probably be, not this coming Tuesday, Tuesday week, I'll be probably doing the launch. So there's lots of things going on. But we need that space sometimes just to just to be. So yeah. the slow lane coaching is very much about, OK, off you go, go. You know, I'm happy for you run, because sometimes even going in the slow lane is a great personal success to people. But society doesn't recognize that always. So within the coaching framework, I will give that pat on the back. I will sometimes give the kick with compassion. And kindness, as one of my clients always says, I will say, OK, well, what did that teach you? The fact you haven't done what you said you wanted to do. What's the learning behind that? What's important? So what are you going to do about it now? Or have you decided to do nothing? Whichever is fine. But what but does it tell sense. you? Exactly. Yeah. So so the slow lane coaching is not just a case of it's not certainly not for losers, but it's a case of living our potential on our terms, making the choices that are important to us. I love that. Even what the last time that I did uh, uh, had a conversation with you and with reading some of the stuff that you have online, I even started to 
think about my goals a lot differently because I'm one of those people that gets really excited about the beginning of the year and I get a pretty planner with all the planner stickers. And then when I sat down to think, all right, what do I want to accomplish this year? It felt way too big to think about the entire year. So instead chunking it into, okay, what can I do in three months, in 90 days? That seems to help a lot. And then when I tell other people, there's kind of like, well, how do you know that you're meeting the goal at the end of the year? I met the goal at the end of the quarter. That's what matters. Yeah. Yeah. Well, if, you, if you're living fully the day, that can also be, again, forgetting the COVID situation. It can be a walk in the park with a, uh, a loved one. It can be losing yourself in a book. It can be working 24 hours on a, on a new project. It, it doesn't have to be what society tells you you should be doing. You know, I remember when I was working in England, the very first sort of few jobs, you had that Monday morning or not any morning conversation about the program, the TV programs from the night before. Probably I didn't watch them. Um, but it seems almost like you're an outcast if you don't watch whatever the latest programs are. Yeah. Um, but on the other hand, though, if we all follow that, in a certain sense, maybe it's strong words, but we're being drugged. You know, it's like bubble gum for the mind. Um, we, we're getting brainwashed to sort of think as the herd thinks. And then suddenly we wake up and it's, oh my goodness, you know, and then fill in the gaps. You know, we, we've got so many examples in our minds that I'm not going to even go into them, but we can talk politics, we can talk COVID, we can talk whatever it is. Because so many people have not used their mind, have not made decisions for themselves. They've just followed the herd. Mm -hmm. You can wake up on your deathbed and realize, wow, I've wasted so much time. Yeah. I lived this person's life instead of my own. Exactly, yeah. So a couple more questions for you. Um, what is it about young people and young professionals that makes you want to work with us? Okay, um, that word potential again. I, I love the enthusiasm. I love the, the idea that people entering the world of work now, they, they don't quite rightly probably know about the past problems. Uh, you know, everybody just turns on the computer without knowing about DOS, without the handshake for the modems. And that's fantastic. Um, mm -hmm. But they've got so much enthusiasm, so much energy that, you know, I'm very much an energy person. I, I get sort of wrapped. Please believe me, when I coach, I'm much quieter <laughs> when the moment requires it. Uh, but in terms of working with young people, I think the fact that and I've some of the students I've seen over the last few years, it really makes me believe that the world is in safe hands. What you're doing has revived my my enthusiasm for the, the potential of the world again, because not everybody is watching the X Factor. Not everybody is watching those programs we spoke about before. Mm -hmm. There are people just going about their business, creating revolutions by being themselves, by being honest, by, by working to their abilities, or at least wanting to work to their abilities. So if I can help them in some way to maybe reduce those fears make them more manageable understand that they're not going to go away but you can carry them with you anyway you know if you think about your first day at university probably like so overwhelming yeah <laughs> think about your first day as a paid employee wow so overwhelming but you did it you survived both of those days the next job, whatever that will be, or the next project, whatever that be, equally shocking. Think about your first podcast, all of the doubts or fears, but now you're the superstar podcaster. Um, <laughs> and that's, that's the same with all of us. None of us were born speaking languages, driving a car, knowing how to swim, knowing how to cook or whatever it is. We've had to learn as we've had to go through that beginning phase, but we survived. And that's, that's something that I think a message is often lost at traditional education because it's like you have to do this and this and this and this and this and this and then at the end. And then, of course, life doesn't always give us that linear process. Mm. And that first moment is off track. Like, oh, my goodness, what happens next? So helping people understand that the world is much more 
than just this and this and this and this. That's that's why I get excited. That's why I love working with the students at university. The international aspect is fantastic because one of the first exercises I do, we had 20 or 30 people in a room, probably very few have spoken to each other. They're all typically in Milan on their six months assignment. Uh, don't know anybody, maybe don't know much Italian. And I get them to pair up with somebody they've never spoken to. So, yeah, we sit in a circle traditionally in the, in the lessons, which is different anyway. Right. I get them look across the room, make eye contact with somebody, which is difficult sometimes, get them to pair up and without even knowing who they are. Tell this person a dream you have. What is it you want to achieve? And of course, by them doing that, suddenly people begin to, oh, well, they're maybe from China or they're from America or Mexico, but they've got the same aspirations, the same dreams. And people begin to realize that it doesn't matter where they come from. They're all going through the same process. They've all got the same fears, the same hopes. And so that idea of breaking down those barriers and then getting the people to start realizing that other people have gone through a lot worse. Those students are probably the top of the top of their universities. I've had students that had to pass English exams to get on the courses and they did it. And yeah, a typical example, the Chinese students often talk about they have to study 15 hours a day at high school and only eight hours a day at university. And I don't know about in America, but most of the Europeans is like eight hours. It's like, whoo, you know, they yeah. complain if they've got three hours. Um, so these are some of the hurdles, these students, forgetting the whole political thing behind it, of course. But these young students are going through this to get on these courses. So that's why it's so important, again, that thing I said about reading, understanding what opportunities people have maximizing the opportunities so a very long answer to your question about working with young people i love it because i i particularly work around a lot of people that are two or three times my age and it's refreshing to interact with people who are in a different generation from me who celebrate the energy that we have as young people because sometimes it can be seen as very naive and immature and not the best part of ourselves you're going to mention that word millennials. <laughs> yeah. I, really, I really don't like that. I think that is such a, an awful tag that's been applied to a generation of people. Um, you know, I, I don't see, I don't know why they've had this bad label attached to them because yeah. they, they've got so much energy, so much, not obviously all of them, but many, so much energy, so much purpose. Um, and they're not carrying a lot of the baggage of the past, which is so important. Maybe they understand it, but they've understood they can also put it down. Whereas a lot of older people have got those chips on their shoulder and they're, they're almost proud of them. And that's that's why you know, I work with young professionals also midlife because the, the midlife people, maybe they need to change careers, but they're still holding on to, well, I was this. I remember one guy, he, was a, he worked up to become a senior fund manager for an investment company. He was only about 40 when we started working together. But every first few conversations we had was all about his position in that company. But the company's no longer there. You know, mm -hmm. it crashed in 2008 in the financial meltdown. Yeah. He's had to let go of that. Trying to make him understand his identity is not the senior fund manager. He is the person. That was his job. So what is it he wants to bring to the world of work? Not just resentment because his old job's gone. But something new a challenge facing the opportunity to start again and once he understood that he became enthusiastic because he was naturally competitive but he was still competing in a field that was no longer there he had to move across so yeah getting people to understand the options and the choices that are out there and invariably people know but they may be a little bit scared to admit them nice wow my last question for you before <clears throat> we wrap up is what can we expect from you this year? Um, in the short term, I really want to, and this is something that I'm probably doing constantly, but I really want to simplify it. You've mentioned a few times about the slow lane coach and what I've created that as a brand now. Um, 
I need and I want to sort of simplify, maybe reorganize the Twitter feed, maybe reorganize the Instagram a little bit, because at the moment there's a lot of sort of cross-pollination between the names. I've got BGDT coaching, I've got slow lane coaching, I've got objects to inspire. So I, I need to really sort out what's what's going where. Um, yeah. Certainly a lot more book writing. I've already launched one. Probably next week will be a second one. Um, the one that's coming out will be almost like a manifesto of slow lane coaching. So putting together the ideas, lots of exercises, um, and a small ebook for people to get a taste of what they can expect working with me. Nice. So th that's the big thing at the moment. It's this rejigging reorganization. Nice. I'm excited for that. Good. Yeah, <laughs> and you touched on this a little bit. Do you have anything else that you want to promote? Um, as so my books, yeah. The the book I published at the end of last year, which is it's called The Heart Poem Collection, 309 Poems. Okay. It's all across the social media. It's basically captured all of the poems I've been publishing as individual books so heart poems on clouds let me just quickly run through um what have we got here we got clouds heart poems on clouds heart poems on the home heart poems on the night uh heart poems captured from dreams one two and three these are short little poems that I put together and then published just to sort of close that chapter so now I've got more into the haiku, the 17 syllables. Um, so the Heart Poems Collection, I think, is a good representation of where I've got to to now. Mm. Um, anybody can check out my blog. Let me give you my blog, which is um, bgdt.wordpress.com. There you can find information about the coaching, information about the books, a bit more information about me. And I'm on social media and um, I kick with compassion. I kick with kindness, but I don't bite. So please, <laughs> if anybody wants to come and follow me, I'd be happy to follow back, of course. Um, awesome. Thank you so much, Brian, for doing this. Yeah, it's, it's a pleasure. I would continue talking for hours, but I appreciate we cannot. But uh, <laughs> it's a real great pleasure connecting with you. So thank you. All right, y'all. That's it. That's all for today. I hope this was impactful and very helpful for you. I always want to make sure that people and even just when I have solo sessions, um, I want to make sure that it's useful to you. So if you like this, if you took something away from it, let me know. Do a little screenshot if you're listening on um, Spotify or any of the other um, podcast listening softwares is that the word platforms that's the word bam um podcast listening platforms take a screenshot share it let other people know what you took away from this because that's how i grow and then if you're listening on apple podcasts leave me a five-star review if it's any less than that just just direct message me let me grow <laughs> in private give me the the criticism in private <laughs> um so i like I said, I hope this was super impactful for you. I cannot wait for all that um, was further in store for you for future episodes. Thank you so much, Brian, for being a part of this um, session with me. Um, all of the information that he talked about will obviously be linked in the show notes. Let me know if you need anything. I'll talk to y'all soon. Bye.